When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Dan. This is our Browns post-game podcast. We're going to talk all things about the Browns win over the Giants on Sunday night football. First of all, though, I've got to tell you about Football Insider. Check it out at cleveland.com slash browns to get exclusive access to those stories on cleveland.com slash browns. An emailed newsletter every single morning to your inbox written by a member of our Browns team. Again, exclusive to you. And of course, uh, our text subscription where uh, we'll text you news, nuggets, analysis. We'll answer your questions, uh, chances to come on our quick spot, chances to be a part of a normal post-game show, and then of course some shows during the week. Unable to do a normal post-game show like tonight. So again, check all that out. Go to cleveland.com slash Browns and click on the blue banner at the top of the page. Everybody, welcome to our post-game edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby, and I'm joined by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. How you doing? Doing well. The Browns, twenty to six winners here at MetLife Stadium. They are now ten and four, and the playoffs again. It just starts to feel more and more inevitable every single week. And I would imagine we're going to see the Browns finally on uh, one of those clinching scenarios next week when the NFL sends those out. Uh, on Tuesday. Mary Kay, let's get to this. This game was, it's hard to describe. Like it was so much good for the Browns, but they were just so efficient today and so methodical. It was almost, I don't want to say boring, but it was just sort of, eh, okay, the Browns were better today. That's all there is to it. Yeah, they, they were a lot better. And I think, Dan, I think one of the things that that added to sort of the, the flat feeling here uh, was the fact that there were no fans. And this was That's true. This was one of the first games that I've been to, although there were no fans. I don't think there were any fans in Baltimore either, but it felt different. I mean, this just felt like a big, loud, cavernous place where there just didn't seem to be much going on. Now, if the Browns uh, you know, were at home and had their 12,000 and they were scoring and Baker was uh, complete, you know, setting a record for completion percentage of over 84%. Uh, I think it would have had a, a more energetic feel to it. But here, you know, there was just no noise for, for anything because they only scored six points and nobody was cheering for the Browns and nobody was cheering for anybody. So <laughs> I, think, I think that lent to the sort of like the eh, sort of feel to this, but it, there was no add to it at all when you think about it, because uh, they're at 10 victories, they're at double digit victories uh, for the first time since 2007. They're 10 and four for the first time in 19, since 1994. And here's the thing that's going on with this offense. They've just got, Baker Mayfield's got the running game and the play action just working like clockwork to the point where it's child's play for them right now. It's so easy for them to just suck in the defense with the play action because the running game is so damn good. You can't, you, you know, you have to respect it. 
Uh, and then the line is protecting incredibly well. It's just all kind of came together at the same time. Baker is throwing the ball on the money. And then you've got guys like Jarvis that, you know, that are healthy now. And he is, you know, he can catch anything. Jarvis can catch absolutely anything. I'm amazed by his hands. Everybody should be amazed by what he can do. And it's just a well-oiled machine right now. And I think they are going to make the playoffs, obviously, at this point. And I think teams should probably fear playing them. I mean, listen to some of these drives uh, today. You know, the first one lasted uh, 431, and they ended up going, get, turning it over on downs. But they had a touchdown drive of 641, 13 plays, 75 yards. Another one of 455, 10 plays, 95 yards. That essentially ended the first half. They had a 14 play. How about this? 14 play, 115 yard drive that took up 804. That's factoring in some of the penalties there. And then they also had uh, their final two drives even were 352 and 302. I mean, the Browns really just controlled this football game from start to finish. And I think I was getting this sense a little bit. I was getting it from some folks on Twitter, some more football insider subscribers. They're watching these games today. They're seeing that nobody's helping out the Browns. And I was getting this feeling of like, uh-oh, are the Browns going to go to MetLife Stadium and, and blow a game they're supposed to win? And it was never really in question. From the minute that the, uh, the Giants failed on that fake field goal or whatever we want to call it, uh, the game was just never in question. They came out and they controlled things. And you said it. it it's about Baker Mayfield right now at this point. The first half of the season, or however many games, is all about that run game and all about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And Baker Mayfield has just gone to a level that I think is better than what we saw in his rookie year over those final eight games. I, I think this is a different Baker Mayfield just as far as protecting the football, the way he's running this offense. You can just see that it's all really come together here over the last month for him. Yeah, he's flourishing in this play-action-based scheme, and that's really what's going on with, with him right now. That play-action, uh, once again, is just uh, it, it's child's play, like I said. It, it's just he's just toying. He's just toying with the defense. You don't know whether it's a run or a pass. They don't know if it's a run or a pass. And when you don't have your best cornerback uh, in James Bradbury, arguably their best defensive player, or at least one of, of two or three of their best defensive players was not in this game. Uh, when, when you've got, when you're down cornerbacks like that, you have no chance against this offense. Okay. This is a loaded, loaded, high powered offense. And if you, if you can't bring it with your best guys, you, you just don't, you just don't stand a chance. And, and the, the protection is so good that when, when Baker has time and he uses his play action, which once again, he was like, I don't even know what the stats were, but he was ridiculous on play action tonight. Um, when he's got the time to throw and he can just stand there and, and pick out, go find the, uh, go find that one-on-one -on -one matchup that he likes or find the open man. I mean, and, and he's just nailing it right now, playing with so much confidence and that's what they need. Uh, and, and Kevin Stefanski said he was outstanding tonight. And that's, that's how they feel about him now. They see that the lights have come on for him. Of course, these guys were playing Colt McCoy. This was not their starting quarterback. Uh, this was Colt McCoy, who's only started. This was his fourth start since 2014. So that makes a difference, okay? You know, when you are not playing uh, against somebody's starting quarterback, that, that does make a difference in the football game. So that should be noted. Um, 
but you know, Colt did a nice job of, of just kind of managing the game for them. Uh, but it was, it just wasn't, uh, you know, it, it wasn't what, what they hoped to do tonight. Yeah. And, you know, we got to give credit to Nick Harris thrust into action today uh, when Chris Hubbard went out and the Browns getting thin at guard. Uh, so they're going to have to kind of cobble through that now with, with likely Nick Harris starting there for a little while until Wyatt Teller is able to come back. Uh, and then also we got to keep an eye on Sheldon Richardson too. He's been a really important piece on this defensive line. Uh, so we got to keep an eye on that injury. But, but one thing we, we really do have to talk about too, before you go here is Miles Garrett. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've talked about this a few times. I thought he came back against Tennessee and looked really good. And then against Baltimore, struggled a little bit, really struggled today, came up with a half sack late. You know, he admitted on Friday that he's doing breathing treatments. He said tonight after the game, he had a coughing fit. And you could just tell listening to him in the post game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's clearing his throat and I mean, he was struggling in, in that post game. Um, so, this is something to keep an eye on here moving forward. Uh, how much is he going to continue imp- to improve week to week here? And uh, what can the Browns get out of him? Because, you know, this is, it's to a point now where it's a little bit concerning because we're, we're seeing that it is causing issues out there for miles. Yes, it absolutely 100% is to the point where I, like I actually felt bad asking him uh, to answer a question in, in later on in the post-game press conference. I, 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 felt like he was struggling even a little bit to, to get the words out. Uh, and he admitted that he had just gone through a coughing fit in the locker room. That's a concern. So I think what's happening is it's almost like an exercise induced, uh, not, I don't want I'm not going to diagnose him, but <laughs> the, the, uh, the exertion of playing a football game is kind of getting, you know, things sort of revved up in, in his lungs. And he's, you know, he's struggling during the game. And they showed that during, you know, they showed it on the telecast and he, he admitted it. And he just said, you know, hopefully he can do whatever, you know, something that he can do, you know, whatever he can so that he is a hundred percent by the playoffs. He knows that he's not going to be a hundred percent over the next two games. And, uh, and it's just a matter of managing it now for him because he wants to give it his all. He wants to be out there. He wants to help his team but he he's battling out there right now. So you got to give him a lot of credit. And of course, if you lose Sheldon for any amount of time too, that, that takes away one of those other guys that can kind of pick up that slack. Um, if, if miles isn't miles, you know, every single play out there. Uh, okay, Mary Kay, uh, we will let you go here. Ellis and Scott have jumped in. We'll continue here. A little abbreviated edition of the orange and Brown talk post game. Like we had uh, last time the Browns were in prime time about what? six days ago. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll let you go, Mary Kay. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Okay. And as I said, uh, Ellis has joined in. Scott has, uh, has joined in as well. I'm not sure if Doug is joining us here tonight or not. I'm sure he will. Oh, just as I said that he popped into the room. So there we go. Uh, the whole, uh, I'm, I'm invading here, the whole got to watch the tape crew. But um, Ellis, you know, speaking of that, I, I was sitting a few seats down from you and you were kind of talking about what you were seeing from Baker Mayfield against his defense today. It, you know, we're sitting there watching it from the press box. It really just looked like Baker looked like the point guard today. It just looked like he was out there just distributing the football to whoever, whoever was open, whoever was there, you know, made some aggressive throws down the field too. Th- this was really 
to me, the best of Baker Mayfield within this offense. I, I thought it was just, it looked so easy for him. It looked easy for Kevin Stefanski. And I'm curious, you know, why you think that was. Yeah, he continued off what he was building in the second half of that Ravens game. And really the two defenses are similar in the fact that when the Ravens lost Jimmy Smith, their cornerback, they were forced to go and play, you know, third, fourth string corners. And when defenses do that, uh, defensive coordinators are comfortable playing more zone as in keeping the offensive players in front of them. Because if you go man with lesser talent, you're probably going to get beat by quality receivers like Jarvis Landry and whatnot. That's what the Ravens did. And then we go to this game and you see the Giants not have James Bradbury, their top corner, their best defensive player. And that completely changes the Giants game plan. They, they do run a lot of zone. That's what I saw on tape. But Baker Mayfield confirmed it in his postgame interview and said that they had a feeling that without Bradbury, they were going to have to play more zone and count on their pass rush uh, to get after Baker. But when you are on rhythm and in sync with your play caller, the way Baker and Stefanski are right now, that pass rush is never going to get to you if play caller than quarterback know exactly where they want to go with the ball in the weak spots of the zone. So what we saw was Baker continuing to shred zone defenses and do so at the most impressive clip that he's done it this year, breaking the completion record. And as I said, building off what started in the second half of that Baltimore game and really probably in Tennessee too, but it's a, it's a product of circumstance with the defenses missing some guys and then Baker and Kevin Zafanski just continuing to be on the same page. And Scott, your your first three words today on your on your post game post was Baker Mayfield ascends, and and to me that's really what we've seen over the last. I mean, I would say going back to I guess probably the Jacksonville game. Um, you know, I think we were seeing it before that, but there was bad weather and a lot of other things going on. But really, once he kind of got to that Jacksonville game, we've just seen that progression forward in this offense from him to what we've seen now against Baltimore and then tonight against the Giants. Yeah, I think he had his, well, he momentarily had his third straight 300 yard passing game uh, and then it kind of got taken away. But um, yeah, I think we, we are seeing that ascension. I think he, he's made the Browns into a team that's no longer just a running team. You can't call them that anymore. They're more of a diverse offense now that can hurt you in so many different ways. And, you know, I kind of had a feeling that running would be a little rougher today against the giants. And it was, and that doesn't matter because Baker Mayfield is able to do the kind of things that we saw him do tonight. And, you know, as the season has gone on, we saw more and more of those, you know, first it was like the first half against the Colts, but then, you know, we've seen it against Cincinnati. We've seen it against the Titans. Um, We saw it tonight uh, uh, against the giants. So everything seems to be trending in the right way with him. And you know that they can run on, you know, that they can run, but in those cases where it becomes a little more difficult, now, you know, that Baker Mayfield can kind of get the job done too. And, you know, it was weird seeing him on the field with Colt McCoy and knowing that <laughs> there's this, you know, decade here in between those two and knowing what this team was when Colt McCoy was here, I counted it up. There were 13 quarterbacks who started games in between Colt McCoy's last start and, and Mayfield's first start. And, you know, that, that gap there, you, you can just see it on display today. Well, it was, it was funny because he had Colt McCoy on the field, Jabal Sheard, uh, Deion Lewis was out yeah, there. I forgot about I him mean, before you, the game. You had like a, a 2012 Browns reunion, and, and it's kind of appropriate because I feel like this season is all about exercising all of those demons. I mean, 
I think Browns fans, whether it was justified or not, were a little nervous about this game. And the Browns kind of came out and said, why? You know, they, they just took care of business today. They, they, they were just a better football team than the New York Giants, and they left no doubt about that. When we, when we think back about the 2020 season, we're, we're, we're not going to talk about this game. We're, we might even forget that they played the Giants. It was just the Browns were a better team, and, and, and they played like it, you know? And there might be like an alternative universe where the Giants come away with more than three points on three trips into the red zone in the first half. Uh, and, and this is a battle late in the game, you know, maybe Daniel Jones is healthy and the Giants quarterback in that alternate universe, but that wasn't the case today. Well, Ellis and I will remember our, our travel adventures to this game. That's, that's certainly something we'll remember. Doug, uh, you've been sitting here listening. What, what are your thoughts here? I think you could argue it was the biggest win of the year because if they had lost, everybody would have freaked out. Like if, if, if I, I couldn't tell how nervous fans were, if they would have lost tonight, they would have dropped to like a 50% chance to make the playoffs. They make both games at the end of the year, basically must wins. They would have dropped for the moment to the eighth seed and out of the playoffs. And every Browns fan would have spent their Christmas week freaking out that this fantastic, wonderful franchise changing season was all of a sudden now on the brink. And so all this boring, competent, normal, easy stuff happened in the shadow of if you lose, everybody's freaking out. And so I would just like to remind everybody that this is just, this is how it is now. This is, I think maybe what the next five, eight, I don't know. I'm happy to get ahead of myself. This might be what Browns football is now. You just win normal games. You don't even have to think about losing. But let's remember, like, this is – I think this is bigger. We hyped up Tennessee game, the Baltimore game. You're proving something, whatever. This is the kind of game – because even last week, you lose to the Ravens. You play well, you lose. But you had a little wiggle room still. You were out of wiggle room coming into this. And if for some reason you had – if they had laid an egg tonight – Absolute pandemonium on the streets of Cleveland Monday morning. Instead, it was practically boring. And as Scott said, forgettable, which is just what a wonderfully forgettable win. When if they were the, the AFC is so good, if they were nine and five right now, they really would be in trouble. No, you're right. This was strangely a, a game they, that they had to win and to see them, to see them come out and just be the team who knew exactly who they wanted to be. We've talked about this over and over again. The Browns know who they are. And tonight they just were the Browns. They were efficient. They had long drives. They really kind of kept things simple. Now, they didn't run the ball a ton. Uh, you know, like, like you said, Scott, they were really more of a passing team today. Uh, and, you know, when you look at the, the rushing numbers, they, they certainly weren't spectacular. Now, there were some good runs in there for sure. Um, but just overall, it wasn't a spectacular day rushing the ball. 15 for 50 for Nick Chubb. Uh, Kareem Hunt had seven for 21. He got banged up a little bit. Dearness Johnson threw in four for 24. Uh, but this is just a team that knows when they play a team like the New York Giants, who don't belong on the same field with them talent-wise, they just know how they want to go out and beat them. They shorten the game, and I'm really interested yeah. in how they shorten the game. I think this is, to me, 
this is the best example yet of a game plan that if you could carry any game plan over into a playoff game, I would want to carry this seven possessions for each team. They converted. I just had it up and I want to double check myself. They converted nine of 13 third downs efficient. They execute on third down. They execute in the red zone. You limit the chances for the other teams to score. The Chiefs and the Saints, when they played today, they each had 13 possessions. The Giants and the Browns each had seven possessions. This is now, of course, it's gonna, it's harder to hold Patrick Mahomes to limited possessions because they score fast and they're good. And Colt McCoy stinks. My God, that offense was bleh. But this yeah, Did really, you guys in, in New York get that Omaha experience? I saw of, people on Twitter talking definitely about heard, it. Or Doug definitely heard that. I, I saw people on Twitter talking about it. I, I didn't get to hear any of it. But just that's a winning game plan. I mean, it's harder to do against a good team, but I just I liked every aspect of that. It's a bend that bend but don't break defense that lets the other team move the ball a little bit, but you you stop them in the red zone, and then the Browns convert in the red zone, convert on third downs, and you try to win a game like in the twenties. You know, don't try to win a playoff game like you did against Dallas. Don't you don't, don't try to win in the forties. I don't think that's going to work. This I, I just liked a lot of aspects of this. I, I'm actually glad you brought that up, Doug. It's been something I've been fascinated with with Kevin Stefanski all year, just the way he controls possession and, and controls the clock. And today, this was sort of the Raiders game, except in reverse. The Raiders really came out and controlled the clock and controlled the game. The Browns had, this is my favorite drive ever, right here. Uh, fourth quarter, eight minutes and four seconds. I think it actually spanned the third and the fourth quarter. Eight minutes and four seconds. 14 plays, 115 yards gained. So a 14-play, 95-yard drive that resulted in the Browns' final touchdown of the game. Probably, when we look back on it, even though we're all going to forget about this game, probably my favorite drive of the season. Ellis, as, as you've watched Kevin Stefanski kind of show us who he is as a coach, how much of his ability to control possession and control the game has kind of stood out to you? It's, it's a staple of him as a play caller. He's, he's in such control and of the variance in which he's dictating runner pass and keeping every defensive coordinator he's seen basically this year, especially after the bye, uh, on the ropes. They, they just, they're unbalanced. They don't know what's coming next. And when you try and think you haven't figured out, he's throwing out a 13 personnel or something like that. One thing that stood out on both that drive, the way you have a drive like that, Dan, where you're, you're getting a hundred, you're net, you're having 115 yards of offense going 95 yards. And it was a theme throughout the whole game is there was never a counter punch from the giants, which then just plays into Kevin's fancy being able to do what he wants. Um, first on offense, if the, and to Doug's point about the pressure, there would have been more pressure felt had on the first uh, drive Cole McCoy had Sterling Shepard wide open in the end zone that you're not probably going to see it on the NBC broadcast, but from the box, he had Sterling Shepard wide open in the left slot on a, on an inside slant. And he just looked right. The Evan Ingram uh, tight end shot play was there and he was late on the throw. You know, those are two game changing plays and the difference in the game where the Browns offense is top five in the red zone coming in the giants defense is top five and the Browns make up the difference there. And then defensively, Giants defense coordinator Patrick Graham just played zone as I as I opened this saying and let Kevin take what he wanted and ultimately Baker Mayfield completes eighty five percent of his passes. So if you're going to let Kevin Stefanski control and dictate terms, this is the result. Playoff football likely won't 
be counter punchless, and that's why the Giants are where they're at. But when Kevin's able to dictate terms, this is the result. Well, you know, something that I think is important, and I think that is going to be important from this game. And Doug, you, Doug, you said, I mean, you you aren't going to be able to necessarily control Patrick Mahomes, but I do think the formula, if this team were to get to a, however the seating plays out, a playoff game in Kansas City, I would imagine they might want to try and control possession a little bit and have some drives that are six minutes long, seven minutes long, eight minutes long. I don't know that they'd want to go out there and get into a shootout with the Chiefs. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Stefanski would want to just say, hey, let's make this a 50-45 game and see who gets the 50. But tonight was almost sort of a, a chance. I mean, sorry, Giants. Tonight was sort of a chance to maybe practice a little bit and show, hey, we can go out and control the game in a lot of different ways. Tell Nick Chubb to do that thing where when he breaks a long run, run out of bounds, don't score. <laughs> do that like in the second quarter. It's like, Nick, no, no. <laughs> we, we don't want a 75-yard run. Just run for like 12 and then yeah, run, out, and of run out of bounds at the 30. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, I think part of it too, I mean, figuring all this out, I, they were able to do these march on these drives, as Ellis has said multiple times, because the Giants are playing zone and Baker's just picking apart that zone and the soft zone and little middle We've talked a lot about they don't have Odell. Do they have a deep threat? Do they, are they dangerous to beat anybody over the top? Fine, they're not. Hit them in the middle. I just don't know why. I get it, and maybe this is how every quarterback plays. I just I don't care what I do as a defense. I would stop playing zone against Baker Mayfield. I don't care if your corners aren't good. I mean, I just why why would you let him do that when I just think he's much less comfortable against man? Ellis, maybe that's true for every quarterback in the world, but this just seems like you're giving up to be like, okay, well, we can't play man, so we'll just, I don't know, let him hit as many 13-yard throws as he wants all night? It seems crazy to me. Yeah, and it's, it, it would be unorthodox to put corner, lesser corners in man coverage and trust them, you know, isolated. But I, I completely – I hear you, and I, and I couldn't agree more, and I would be surprised if, a, you know, a team like Pittsburgh is going to sit in zone against Baker, and it'll be interesting to see what the Jets, you know, what they throw at him. Obviously, Greg Williams isn't there anymore. That probably would have been more of a chaotic game plan. Um, but that'll be interesting going forward because the, the tapes out there, you know, from Tennessee to the second half of Baltimore, the first half of Indiana or Indianapolis, like uh, Scott said, and now this game, he, he, he is demolishing zones. You're giving him free yards. And then you can have the bend, but don't break philosophy between the twenties with your zone defense. And then you think, Oh, we'll play zone when the windows get tighter in the red zone, but this team's been good in the, with their red zone offense all year. So that doesn't work either. You know who it's time to give some love to here because I wanted to, to talk about, you know, part of what makes this team so hard to play any sort of defense against is all the weapons they have, especially if Austin Hooper is going to start, you know, getting more and more comfortable in this offense. And, uh, you know, David Njoku is going to start catching the football. But you know who really deserves some credit here? And I know we talk about him. We probably talk about him a lot, but I don't know. I think we should talk about him more. Jarvis Landry. I, I just think this guy, and I think today – this is a game I'm going to go back and rewatch. And I think Jarvis Landry, especially in that second quarter drive that ended with the touchdown. And then of course the taunting penalty, I think he unlocks so much in this offense, his ability, you know, we've talked about Odell Beckham and those two are so expensive and, and we know Odell is that deep threat. I just think the things you can do with Jarvis Landry, when they run him behind the, the offensive line and he just kind of sneaks out and Baker hits him on a little pass, his ability to catch anything that comes his way his competitiveness, just everything he brings to the table, it just becomes more and more evident to me 
Jarvis Landry is worth every cent that the Cleveland Browns are paying him right now in this offense, especially uh, with Odell Beckham not out there. I, I just think the things he can do for this offense are I, – I, I honestly don't know if it's replaceable. Yeah, Dan, it, it's, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's, it's kind of funny. We've been talking about how the Giants ran zone this entire game, and actually Jarvis's touchdown, they were in man coverage. The Browns ran a, a mesh concept, so they're trying to cross their receivers with a tight end uh, near the line of scrimmage, and the play kind of breaks down, but you get Baker Mayfield scrambling to his right, which is a strength, and then you get Jarvis Landry versus man coverage, which is a strength, and that is a small window, and those two nailed it. So even when the Giants did try in crucial moments to run man, you have a man beater like Jarvis Landry there to score the touchdown. And, and I, I'll make clear when I say it's not replaceable, I don't mean like, you know, well, you, wouldn't, not want, you wouldn't want DeAndre, you wouldn't want Deandre Hopkins over. I'm not saying that, right? but not but what I'm saying is just the things he does within this offense are like Rashard Higgins doesn't do it. Canero exactly. Hodge, it's Jarvis Landry specifically does things in this offense that I think are just really, really important. That, that touchdown is only scored by Jarvis on this team that I'll stand by that. Eight targets, seven catches. And the thing that I think has become very clear with Dar- Jarvis and Baker is that Jarvis does not have to be open for them to connect. Right. Like, it's like, oh, well, what are you doing? It's like they, uh, tiny windows, Baker will hit it. And Jarvis, they have, they know what they're doing with each other. And if it's, if it's going to, if it hit, I mean, we know Jarvis had a couple memorable drops against the Raiders or whatever, but most of the time, if he's near it, he's going to catch it. He's like a Swiss army knife for this offense. He can do so many different things. And, you know, they ran that play uh, tonight where he kind of circles around uh, Mayfield in the shotgun. And they did that last week. And I don't think he didn't get the ball then. And it just seemed like they were really setting that up because, you know, two times in a row and then they finally did throw it to him. So they're just trying all these different ways to get him the ball. And because he can do so many different things, uh, I mean, we've seen him throw the ball too, that it, it's pretty easy to get him involved in this offense. Yeah. And, and uh, so, sorry. Real quickly. And then on one play, um, it was a Nick Chubb run uh, in the red zone, I think, in the second quarter, probably. They had Jarvis do that orbit motion that Scott's talking about. And then he he ran alongside Baker with, as like a fake option that if they would have kept it, probably they would have had the edge. So that's just something Kevin Spancy now puts on tape for defenses to worry about. And if he wants to go to it um, here next week, it'll probably be available. Okay. Um one thing I do want to ask you guys, Mary Can I talked about this um, a little bit. The Browns are going to be a little shorthanded here moving forward, it looks like, in, in some key spots. Uh, Chris Hubbard uh, looked like a pretty serious injury. We'll see. We'll get a, a better idea when we hear from Kevin Stefanski later this week, I'm sure. Uh, hope, hopefully it's not, but it didn't look good. So now Nick Harris kind of thrust into action at uh, right guard. It doesn't sound great for Wyatt Teller coming back this week. You know, again, we'll see as that as that goes along. Uh, but I know Mary Kay was was kind of indicating that it might not be till till the playoffs that we see Wyatt Teller, um, and then Sheldon Richardson, which I think is a would be an important loss, especially with Miles Garrett, who very clearly not Miles Garrett right now, um, still dealing with all the COVID after effects. Had a coughing fit after the game. Didn't sound like Miles Garrett after the game. Um, of those two injuries, I guess, if the Browns have to go with Nick Harris or have to find somebody to replace Sheldon Richardson, I guess which one would concern you guys more? Definitely Sheldon Richardson. I think they're fine with Nick Harris. I think Nick Harris did his job. He hasn't played like in the NFL at all. I think they're yeah. fine. So no offense to Chris Hubbard. Chris Hubbard's done a great job as a backup. But like if you get Wyatt Teller back, great. But if it's – I think Sheldon Richardson, 
uh, is much more of an impact. And I, I, I'm curious about Hubbard. He did. He sort of just got pushed backwards when they showed the replay. It wasn't like a, an incredibly awkward. You know, sometimes you get rolled up on and your knee bends the wrong way. I'm not trying to dismiss it, but um, it just feels like, as you said, with with Miles not being himself, they really need Sheldon Richardson. This defense can't afford to, to lose more people. Um, you know, they have enough injury issues and enough uh, moving down the depth chart issues that, yeah, you, you kind of need, I think there's more of a drop off there too between Richardson and, you know, what you're going to have at right guard. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go with the guard situation right now being more problematic only because what happens if something happens to Joel Batonio, you know, God forbid, but if there's another, injury on the interior now what are the browns looking at to you know for a, a center you know if, if treader goes down now nick harris is your starting center who's at guard it's just it's a it becomes a problematic trickle down effect so for me i'll say it's it's the offensive line there and just you're going to your three and four deep that that could be an issue like beyond Harris, right if you get beyond oh yeah right <laughs> but that, he knows, but he knows the offense i'm just saying that's in play now though that's that's all that's all my point is <laughs> but 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 Harris, in terms of like Harris himself playing, right? If he stays healthy, he's the exact kind. Of, like he's a future starter in this offense. I think everybody thought that from the minute that Kevin Stefanski drafted him. That's always a very big difference. Mostly, I think of it from a college perspective. If your backup is a young guy who's not a starter yet, and you wind up putting him in maybe before you plan to, but you kind of always plan to. That's the backup I want. I'm right. much less enthused about the backup who's like, oh, that guy's not good enough to be a starter, but we had to get somebody. So like Nick Harris, okay, it's your time now, earlier than usual, but they always planned on this. Yeah, I told you guys Nick Harris would play right guard. See? <laughs> Two weeks later, Danny Culver. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let, let's end this on a positive. You guys, each, uh, you guys want to throw a game ball out there, each of you, if you've got one? It could be somebody we already talked about if you want. Can I, can I, I'll throw it out for a play that I thought this when it happened. And it's still one of those things that there's still, I think is an inclination at times. Cause we super analyze everything Baker Mayfield does the Jarvis Landry touchdown in the back of the end zone when he was like, it was like double coverage and he caught it. And Njoku was right in front of him open wide open, but you could see on the replay on TV that Njoku tripped or slipped or went down to the ground. And I thought to myself, well, I bet Baker saw that and assumed that Njoku was out of the play. And that's why he went to Landry. And then some people were sort of like, well, I, well, okay. Third of the double covered guy, not the wide open guy. And Baker after the game explained, that's what he saw. He saw Njoku fall. So he moved his read off of him and moved his read to Jarvis and then gave Jarvis a shot at the ball. It's like, I think we're at the point where I think we're past like Baker Mayfield, not seeing stuff other than like a zone blitz, defensive end dropping into coverage that still gets him sometimes but right like he's got it so yes Njoku but he didn't throw it to Njoku for the right reason because he thought okay well I can't go there anymore what so I just think it's a reminder of have faith in Baker's eyes they've come a long way this year yeah it's calculated aggressiveness rather than recklessness I, I completely agree Doug that's a great name for a podcast, by the way, too. If we do a third podcast, calculated aggressiveness, not recklessness. That's actually it feels like a lyric on Ellis's album. Hey, That's put it on a t-shirt. Yeah. We've got some merch coming soon. We've got a few t-shirts coming. Ten podcasts a week coming on the Orange and Brown right. Talk feed. <laughs> yep. Scott or Ellis, you guys got one? 
I'd, I'd give a game ball to Ernest Johnson for that 21 yard run uh, late in the game. Third and nine. He came through, you know, the Giants just called a timeout. I'm not saying they're going to rally, but they, you know, just gotten a, uh, a field goal at that point. And uh, you know, you got to run out the clock there. You got to show that you're, you're the team that's going to win this game and kind of just keep the ball and, you know, not even give them any hope of, of, of rallying onside kicks and all that crap. So uh, yeah, I'm going to give it to Dennis Johnson. He deserves something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It looked like he was back in Dallas. Um, this isn't going to surprise anyone, but I'll give a game ball to Kevin Stefanski. It might be time to uh, start pushing that smooth operator nickname again, because he did that again tonight. And for that reason, Dan, I thought of this when you brought up the chiefs uh, last week, the Browns on a national stage showed that they can move the ball with tempo score points. They went 75 yards in four plays and could get what they want against the Ravens this week. They controlled the ball, only put 20 up and controlled it and melt the clock. So they can play either brand of football when need, when they need to, it's adaptable. And that on a national stage shows and probably positions them as a team that we're probably gonna start hearing now, like, Hey, could the Browns hang with the chiefs? I think that's what this win has done for this team. Now. I will give one to Riley Dixon. Cause I feel bad for him. You tried buddy. Hey, the kicker was open. The <laughs> kicker was open. I saw you tweet that. And I want to see a full breakdown of, of how that all went. That's down. right. Got to watch the tape. We're going to talk about how that play should have worked. <laughs> Can we make clear by the way, that it was not Freddie kitchens. Who's right. in charge That's... of running a fake punter fourth down thing like that. Right. Freddie's not the head coach anymore. So yeah, that, that's on that's on Joe Judge and the special teams coach. So, yeah, there you go. So, Riley Dixon, I'm giving you a game ball because eh, you tried, buddy. All right, <laughs> that's, that'll do it for our post-game edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We'll have a full week of pods coming your way this week. Well, actually, not a full week. I keep forgetting. Friday is Christmas. So, uh, you'll get your pods. You might get an extra long one to get you through the, uh, the holiday weekend uh, leading up to the Jets game. Um, so keep an eye out for all of that, but we will have got to watch the tape coming up as well. So uh, lots of pods still coming your way. And of course, check out football insider at cleveland.com slash Browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page. So Doug, Scott, and Ellis were just with me. Mary Kay was with me earlier. I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.